0: I'm Josh Boaz. I'm Matt Zucker. There are a lot of podcasts featuring top executives.
1: But what about the next wave of leadership? The makers and the doers. The ones we're all going to work for. We wanted to meet them. Find out their story, how they got to where they are, and what they see coming for everyone. This is a spotlight on those on the way up. This is Rising. Today, we welcome top marketer and my friend and former colleague, Paul Suchman, to Rising. Paul is now chief marketing officer of Odyssey, a leading audio and entertainment company where he just led the rebranding from Intercom. Prior to that, Paul was chief global marketing officer at CBRE, one of the largest commercial real estate companies in the world. Before that, Paul was agency side, where he was EVP at BBDO, running accounts like AT&T and GE for seven years, and at Ogilvy and Mather, also for seven years, where I met him as my account partner on our global Cisco account. We sure had a lot of adventures on both U.S. coasts. Josh and I are so excited to have this big-time audio executive on our little marketing podcast and hear his story. So welcome, Paul.
0: Welcome, Paul.
2: Matt, Josh, it's great to see you both, hear you both, be with you both. It's uh, fantastic to be part of it. Thanks. And it's great work you're both doing so it's a it's a privilege and a treat to spend some time with you both
1: thank you very much i miss working with you i, I think we should go back to the beginning maybe you could give kind of sketches of of like how you started out in your first jobs because you went agency side and then client side i know you went to usc but i don't know much else about your very 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 beginnings sure
2: i will but i think matt i should give you a little bit of a shout out as we did work together on the cisco business at ogilvy and when we were at ogilvy there were two major accounts that really ran that place it was american express and it was ibm and we got this little opportunity a consulting opportunity to work on cisco systems uh routers and switches and this was at the beginning right this was in the this was 2000 for maybe 2003 it was a while ago and it was right at the beginning of the whole internet routers and switches we had to look up what that actually meant and i remember you and i worked on this i was the account person you were the creative person but it was your thinking your ideas your determination your creativity that turned that from a very small consulting assignment into a top 5 account at ogilvy globally and that was oh, that was pretty you. amazing and and the work we were able to do was just fantastic. I remember we got to work on when they acquired, it was a real beat, it was hardcore B2B. We were selling to CIOs. Remember we did the box? We did like, this was back in the days when you were still thinking about direct mail. We did some really cool direct mail, uh, that coffee, the coffee direct mail to CIOs, but they acquired Linksys. And Linksys was a consumer facing brand. And do you remember we had to do all of these audio spots around Linksys. Then there was radio spots, right? There was no digital radio at that point. There were no podcasts at that point. And we were doing like really really cool radio spots for Linksys getting, you know, for resellers and consumers that Linksys is now part of Cisco. It was amazing. You 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 brought that account into something huge
1: Thank you I mean that was a big deal for me because that was my audition as creative director I was an associate creative director and I only got the creative director job when Cisco was in trouble and you know and um, it was my big chance. So it was a a big deal for me to like, I threw everything into
2: that. It was great. It was great. And you started as the digital creative director, but you really were running the whole thing. You were doing all the film. You were doing all the broadcast. You were doing- Yeah, it was global,
1: too. I learned about culture. We learned about different cultures, remember? Like different countries wanted to do crazy stuff. And we're like, no, you can't do that,
2: you know? Anyway, so yeah. So I I came out of SC and I started at uh, Young and Rubicam, which doesn't even exist as a brand anymore. I think it's YNR, YNR VML or VML YNR. And uh, I started in their account management training program on the West Coast um, and uh, really enjoyed it, really learned the basics of account management and advertising. I actually fell in love with the craft of advertising. I knew I didn't want to be a consultant. I knew I didn't want to go to Wall Street. Um, The idea of using creativity to solve business problems, strategy to solve business problems, coming at it from that creative, mindset was really uh interesting and i fell in love with the craft immediately and again i know i'm dating myself but it was about television print radio and out of home and i think i was lucky because i, I was able to see it all start to unfold digital come into the mix mobile come into the mix audio really redefine itself in the mix uh, and a transformation to digit a digital first mindset um, so I spent three years there, and then I was recruited into the brand strategy side. It's, we were talking before we started the, the podcast about Lippincott. I actually went to Lippincott uh, to really learn brand strategy and to think about uh, not just the execution of advertising, but to think about strategy from a brand perspective. Um, I often talk about that industry and, and that company as, as the aspiration was to be the McKinsey of branding so a real transformation company but helping your company think about business through the lens of brand i'd spent some time there and then left and went to what was one of the very first digital agencies agency.com that was chan that's where i met chan sue who we yeah yeah you worked for
1: him before i did yeah
2: so i working for chan and his his first partner kyle shannon um before they were acquired by omnicom I got to work on some really cool things. And they, Chan brought me in because he wanted to bring that brand strategy discipline into the digital medium. So he didn't want to just do spinning logos and simple websites. Chan was such a visionary thinker and thinking about digital business. And he was one of the first thinkers to really you know, appreciate that business was going to go digital and clients had to rethink their marketing, rethink their business with a digital first mindset. So he put me to work on some really cool brands. We worked on Merrill Lynch, we worked on um, British Airways, we worked on Bank of America, really interesting stuff. Um, and at that point, they were acquired by they got acquired by Omnicom and started to get folded in with all the other businesses coming in razorfish and uh, organic. all of these businesses were coming together and that was like right at 2000 2001 it was the first dot com bubble explosion and i remember we had just had our first kid who's now a junior in college again i'm dating myself here and he uh, and and so as he was born you know this dot com ex- explosion happened and i started to think well maybe i should Think about a more traditional business. Maybe this was just a flash in the pan, but I knew digital was going to be something really, really serious. So I went and and I was recruited by Ogilvy, and that was to work across Ogilvy, uh, Ogilvy and Mather, and Ogilvy One, which was the digital um, and direct side. And that's where we met together. We met and and our adventure started. But um, you know that was the path. And then into BBDO, and then I went on the enterprise side. I was at BBDO for seven. Oh sorry, Josh. I'm sorry. Oh no, I
0: was, I was just gonna ask, like if you 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 kind of had a sense that digital was this, you know, kind of special thing. Did you did you do anything intentional career-wise at that point? Did you say hey, did you you know, like what did you do once you kind of realized there was something there?
2: Yeah. So what I did, so if if I started in that traditional advertising role, then I went into that brand strategy role. So I had the creativity and the more strategic thinking. I went into the digital role at uh, the digital, it was digital strategy. I was running a digital strategy and business development for Chan. It was a very entrepreneurial company. So at that point, when I went to Ogilvy, I felt like I had advertising, digital and strategy, but I knew it had to be that digital first, that forward thinking mindset. So I tried to align myself on at Ogilvy around accounts and businesses and clients that were thinking not just traditional media but we're thinking about that 360 media um, and those are the projects I worked on those are the accounts I worked on I did find and it was I guess it was a happy accident that the accounts that I got to work on whether it was at YNR or it was at agency.com all the way up into Ogilvy and Lippincott were all b2b accounts and some people really dig consumer marketing, but I've always been really excited about B2B marketing. That was always my first love. Real complex businesses where you could use creativity, you could use tra- strategy to simplify the complex, global footprints, disparate business lines. That was always what excited me. And those are the accounts I got to work on at Ogilvy. And that was a conscious decision that I made. It was working on IBM first, then it was working on. Um, I forgot. Maybe it was Qualcomm. I can't remember at this point. And then Cisco became our whole life, working you know around the clock on Cisco, and I loved it. So that was a conscious decision. When I went to BBDO from Ogilvy, BBDO, I would argue is is one, just one of the great creative shops out there. Their use of creativity and the portfolio that they have amassed was fantastic, and I was recruited by. Uh, the then uh, CEO in New York, John Osborne, um, to really lead some of his B2B businesses and to bring that kind of thinking into a place that was a little more homogeneously led around creative, you know, a creative first mindset. Um, So, you know, Josh, whether those are conscious decisions or happy accidents, that's, that's the direction that I took.
1: But going client side, I mean, that's an active decision, right? That's a huge, Shift thing. Did you always want to do that when you left um, BBDO, or did did it was it more of a um, curiosity?
2: You know, I was I was very happy at BBDO, and I was really enjoying that experience. I was even thinking like, do we go international? Do I go try to run a market? Do I take on a different kind of portfolio just to continue that that growth mindset? And I was approached by uh, one of the big recruiting firms that normally don't look at agency people right you know the agency there's agency people and there's client side people and they were working on this opportunity at CBRE which is a real estate uh investment and services firm it's like the biggest one the right? biggest one fortune 100 just an amazing amazing company and they wanted to really rethink their brand and rethink their marketing and separate themselves from a very staid and very um um almost parody type uh industry where you know you could look at proposals you could look at content from any of the major firms in that space and swap out logos and change color palettes and they were basically saying the same thing so the recruiting firm presented me as a left field candidate somebody who had deep b2b experience somebody who really led with a digital and creative mindset and somebody who wouldn't look like other candidates they were they were um, interviewing. And as I got into the business and started to go through the interview process, it felt very familiar from the standpoint of this complex global business, really dense subject matter, Um, a need for creativity, a need for innovation, a need for like electricity in the brand, a need to really find that space where it could tell its story and differentiate itself from the JLLs, from the Cushmans. Those are the bigger brands in, in that space. And I just became swept up in the opportunity and really wanted to, to go for it. So I treated that, and I knew it's a hard leap to make going from the agency side to the enterprise side. Um, people struggle, I, I, I have found, and I in and, and, and my research, people, clients don't necessarily want to take that flyer and um, talent sometimes struggles there it's almost like going when you work in the agency world you're the consummate undergraduate you get to work on a a range of businesses i remember being at, at bbdo and one day we'd be thinking about free trade coffee with starbucks and the next day we'd be thinking about um uh we'd be thinking about networks with motorola or we'd be thinking about um, health systems with GE. So you got to think about a bunch of different things, but it's you know all real estate all the time. You're almost declaring your major when you go into the enterprise side. And you're really thinking about marketing well beyond the creative product. You're thinking about really implementing and bringing it to life across businesses and uh, business lines and business units. So I spent a lot of time uh, doing my research, getting smart about the business, because I knew I had a big hurdle to overcome and I know you probably want to ask questions. I'll just tell one more quick story about the last time, uh, the last interview was a presentation of how to present to senior management. They wanted perspectives on certain parts of the business. And in my research that I found out, um, CBRE in, has part of its business, in its outsourcing business, it's one of the, it, it manages buildings all around the world. And through that management business, it is one of the largest buyers of toilet paper worldwide. I don't know if that fact still remains, but it was at the time. And I remember I created this slide, and it was a roll of toilet paper. And I photoshopped it. I actually had a friend of mine photoshop it in black and white, and it really just captured the moment of this roll of toilet paper. It was beautiful. And I presented it. And it was a very conservative company, and I knew this slide was going to get me the job, or it was I was out. And what I talked about was, I talked about how CBRE just as the as the largest purchaser of toilet paper, right? Toilet paper, it actually touched lives, and there was no pun intended here. It touched lives well beyond the B2B, well beyond the real estate. their work, their impact, their role, their brand had an effect on not just People who own buildings and people who lease buildings, but people—people people who were in those buildings—and it had a right, it had an obligation to extend its brand footprint, to change its voice, and to become a much more human, forward, progressive-thinking brand. And we talked about that, and that was—that was the—that was the—the—the the, the, the spark that lit the fire to our, the brand transformation that I led at CBRE, and that was—it uh, was a great moment. And it was it was one of those moments where, you know, you're either going to get it or you're out.
0: And and when you when you delivered it, did you know that it did it did it did it did. And, you know,
2: I remember the room was kind of quiet and then it was like the conversation started and I just sort of stood back and let that conversation happen. And it was almost like I was treating the interviews like I was a consultant working for the company versus an interviewer, because I knew. And maybe this is a, a you know a, a lesson for for our listeners here. A resume is a rear view mirror discussion. Everything in the resume happened in the past, and I knew that if I was competing for this job against really qualified CMOs who had that years and that pedigree of corporate experience. There would be no way I'd get the job if you were looking resume to resume, if you were looking in the rear view mirror. So I didn't let the conversation go there. I focused on the business and going forward and the opportunity ahead and treated it like a consulting opportunity. Uh, and it worked.
1: That's a really good lesson. I mean, for, for someone, a lot of us are trying to do something different or we're the, the odd thing out or we want to make a risk and we're not sure how to do it. So the lesson is not don't try to compete apples to apples,
2: right, if you can't, find, a, find an orange. Exactly. Right. Be an orange. That's the lesson is be an orange. Don't be an apple. I think that the resume, we spend a lot of time on our resumes and we want to get them right. We want them to look perfect. We want those bullets to sing. We don't want it to be too much. We don't want it to be too little. We want to take just enough credit. We want to make sure that we give credit where it's due. We want to make sure that that piece of paper presents us with all of those values and and all of those things. But it is a, it is a, here's what I did. It's not, what can I do for you and maybe that's easier said but I think it you know maybe the resume opens the door but it's the interview and it's the way you you move it forward that that wins you wins you the opportunity
0: and I and I think Paul I think what you you're the process you described is all the prep work you did for it I mean I think I interviewed you know tons of people and the ones that do the prep are the ones that stand out every time. It's like that, you know, because like you said, there are lots of people who have great resumes and kind of all blends together after a while. But the one that I, you know, someone recently, you know, listened to Rising podcast and they mentioned it in the interview, you know, and me being the vain person that I am, I was like, this, we got to hire this person. We need more people like this <laughs> around us, you know. But, but it's it's a prep. I'm right? watching so.
2: my own son and his friends go through it. My son, I said, he's a junior. Um, he's a he's at the University of Oregon, and all of these kids, they're looking for summer internships. And it's really competitive. It is hard to get an internship. And it's not enough to apply on a website and send the resume. And they, they and I, I think, you know, my son passed a comment, he's like, it's a lot of work getting an internship. And I'm like, just wait till you get there. It's not it hasn't even started yet. But you're right. And there's a lot of really qualified people that want to, you know, get in the door.
1: And from a careers perspective, I mean, you know, uh, I know the agency world really well, but as you become the marketer and on the client side and this most senior marketing client on the client side, how does your, um, what you do, what you have to be good at change? Has, has it changed? Have you had to acquire very different skills or pick up things you didn't know? Or are you still kind of the same person I knew, you know, 15 years ago?
2: I would say, we've been talking in analogies, apples and oranges. I'll throw one more out, and I promise it'll be the last one. When you work on the agency side, well, the analogy is the visual I want in, in, in your mind, Josh and Matt, is Pac-Man. We can say Ms. Pac-Man. It's Ms. Pac-Man, right? So there's the mouth. There's Ms. Pac-Man's mouth, which is, I guess, the color of the background. It's probably black. And then the rest of Ms. Pac-Man is yellow, and she's got the bow in her hair. And when you work on the agency side of the business, and that, that circle, that whole Ms. Pac-Man, that represents a company, an enterprise. And when you work on the agency side, and you're a, whether you're a brand consultant or a digital marketer or an advertising agency, your world into that enterprise is just through Ms. Pac-Man's mouth. You only see a small piece of it. And your view of it is through the marketing department, typically. You may have exposure to the C-suite when you're presenting work, and you may do a project for a line of business this were a region, but you're really coming in through one piece of it. What you don't see is all the rest of the things that happen inside the enterprise on the marketing side. And it's not the glamorous broadcast uh, television work. This is a lot of content creation. This is research. This is a lot of reports. This is a lot of working across departments. It's a lot of implementation. It's managing social media. It's building strategies. It's 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 marketing plans, it's, it's presenting and managing budgets, it's navigating politics, and there's so much more to it, to that marketing job. It really feels like a line of business job more than a creative job on, on that enterprise side. And so for me coming in, to the enterprise side making that leap i had to learn the whole miss pacman body versus just knowing that mouth and how to both navigate the organization and really deliver on that work at the highest level that was being expected so that was that's the learning curve there and that's why people struggle with the transition however being on that side and understanding how to get the best work out of your agency partners Um, and knowing that you have to create a good brief, you have to give them access to information, you have to give them access to people, you have to give them knowledge, you have to support them in every way as part of your team, Um, that's been a big advantage because I've been able to get just amazing, amazing work time and again out of our agency partners because I know what these agency partners need to be successful. Um, And it's not magic, right? They need great briefs. They need fair budgets. It has to be, uh, you know, it has to be a, a relationship where everybody wins. They need access to information, um, and if you're able to provide that as a client, you can get the very best work. So I think that, to me, that's that was the hardest leap going over there, and it was exactly the same, even going from CBRE to Odyssey, which is a very different business, which is a B2B and a B2C business.
0: Um, and when you went into CBRE, did you have a kind of an end goal in mind? Like, did you know, okay, I'm going to transform the brand and then this is success or, you know, how, how did you kind of, because in an agency where, like you said, you kind of keep going, you know, there's always clients, there's always projects, there's always that Ford momentum, but when you get the client side, how do you know when you're, the, the time is right yeah, to move on? It's a
2: really good question, Josh. Um. You know things are a little more measured. You have your KPIs, you have your, you know, what you're going to do, your workload, and you sort of set it up every year. It's it's methodical. You can see, you can see the plan. And this was a this was a five year plan to go build, um, to go rebuild the brand and to brand all the business units, um, and to work on content across the business units and transform. There was a long list of things that we needed to do. Um, and then it's not like it got into maintenance mode because the world continued to change. Um, it was exciting, and when when I left, it wasn't that it was like, "Hey, you finished everything you need to do." It was, you know, we accomplished a lot, and the next year's journey was maybe not as exciting as the previous year's journey, and it was maybe time. You know, they they they. If you look at the stats in the C suite the CMO is the least tenured position with the highest turnover. And I've often thought about why that might be. And maybe it's what you're leading to, Josh. Maybe it's like you're there to rebuild the brand and you rebuild the brand and and then what do you do next? And I think that's part of it. I also think that um, marketing can be perceived as a cost center versus a revenue driver and they see an opportunity to refresh that if you if you're going to be spending the money you see the opportunity to refresh it every three years and get new thinking in there um i don't know do you what do you guys think you 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 speak to a lot of people do you think there yeah is-
1: i i think that's very that's very true it's like you know is there is it is it an optimization job or is it a transformation job and if you're a transformer you're a transformer and then you might want to move on to a new transformation. If you're an optimizer, maybe you might stay longer, right? You might stay longer because that's your kind of thing. But I think we all, we are who we, we are. I don't know if for you, if you had certain career goals, Paul, like what success would look like? Like, did you always want to run a cool brand or run a shop? Or did you did you have, like, what does success look like for for you? I think a lot of people bring that up in different ways on this show.
2: It's a really good question. I think. Josh asked that question earlier about career path and was it was it was it uh did it just happen or was it was it was it premeditated and planned out I wish I could say the latter but it really wasn't but I found myself going over to the enterprise side feeling like I had a really good education I was fortunate to work at really blue chip places and work on blue chip accounts and work with just some people who I just feel so fortunate to have been around and and to work with and um the end goal for me was always about being a student of marketing i always loved marketing and in in the community that we live in there's tons of bankers there's tons of lawyers there's tons of business people and it's it's kind of fun being the marketing person it 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 allows you (laughs) to be a little more quirky a little uh not politically but like left of center in your thinking and to bring a different it's better perspective. At cocktail parties right? yeah i think so i always i always felt like we got invited to cocktail parties because of that um and and you know so i think for me it was always about being that student of 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 marketing and, and finding those great opportunities um and at cbre what we accomplished was fantastic and when entercom came and 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 i started to talk to entercom about what they wanted to do it was it was just too fantastic not to jump in on that and be part of that and you know we we launched this brand two weeks ago and it it has been this has been a brand transformation like i have never been part of um it's not just when we started this work entercom is a legacy brand entercom um Grew up in the radio business. It built a portfolio at a, through acquisition and organic growth of two hundred and thirty plus radio stations. Made some really great acquisitions in the podcast space with uh, with uh, Cadence Thirteen and Pineapple Street Studios, just two, just just amazing brands. Acquired Podcorn. Acquired a company in the uh, gaming in the betting space called BetQL, which is in the analytics space. Um, built some really smart capabilities, some some digital capabilities, uh, launched radio.com, built analytics capabilities. And it was truly like we, we use this expression, but there has never been a more textbook example as a great house of brands that people didn't necessarily know were connected in the value it was creating. Um, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the credit and voice were going to companies like iHeart, to companies like Spotify, the PR plays, and Sirius, and Entercom was just creating some of the best original audio content on the planet. Um, really deep into the local markets that it served, really working with national clients and just amazing audio opportunities and producing some content across broadcast, digital, podcasting, and live events too, that were just amazing. So that opportunity, and it wasn't just to, to, to change the name, this was about transforming the company under a master brand and changing the look and feel, changing the narrative, changing every single touch point inside and outside the organization. In fact, I'm, I'm giddy. I get to road trip tomorrow down to Philadelphia where the headquarters is to look at signage that we're actually gonna be putting on our buildings. It's like every single, ad- it's so neat. And as I said to you earlier, Matt, um, when we were catching up, the color palette that we have created in, and the font and the logo we've created and the, the assets just that we have given our people, the, the energy inside the organization, it's just it's just palpable. People are just more stoked than I've ever seen. So really exciting. And I don't think you can do that at many companies. You don't get the opportunity to do that many times. And that's not something we would have ever done at, at a CBRE. You know, we did some really smart strategic brand work um, but that is a big you're not you're not doing that inside that organization. Yeah, that's fun.
0: Where you know, for before you embarked on something like this, you know, transforming a, a, a brand and, and all, all the different things that come with that. How do you how do you learn this? How do you prepare as a professional? Is this something you you just had a playbook from from C B R E or did you have to actively go back and learn and, and discover new things? That's a
2: great question. The branding, you know, as a brand, if you had to pick the type, but you have different types of marketers. Brand marketing has always been in my blood, and I would say that was probably a common thread throughout the career. Um, So instinctively, I felt very comfortable with. I know where we are, and I know where we want to go. How are we going to get there and bring the organization along, and make sure that we do it and do it right? You know, if we're going to invest this kind of effort these calories, these resources, these dollars into it, we had to get it right. We actually worked with an outside firm to do it. We worked with 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 a branding firm to help guide us. But we also found that once we got to a certain point that we had the assets, the implementation had to come from within, around social media, around, if you think about every touch point as a company, sending out a bill, right? You're sending out uh, you know, an accounts payable. You, document that has to be rebranded and everything from that to name tags to uh, email. um, Thinking through that process, we actually worked with another firm who helped us audit every single touch point in the organization that would need to be changed over to the new brand to go from Entercom to Odyssey and laid out a roadmap for how we were going to do what, when, uh, how much it would cost, who would do what. Um, it's almost like flipping the, sw- the light switches all the way down a long wall as you're turning it. And, um, and the team was small and mighty and, and to see it come together like that. So there wasn't necessarily a playbook, but we surrounded ourselves. I, I surrounded myself by people a lot smarter than me um, and organizations and outside firms we we, uh, we we placed you know some big bets on on these firms and invested in the right places and I don't want to say we got lucky but we got it right and it was you know it's been pretty gratifying to see it all start to come to life
0: any um, any leadership lessons or kind of professional lessons you've you picked up during the quarantine era that you wanted to keep going
2: yeah um, you know, they say, you know, statistically kind of looking back at what's happened during the pandemic, um, they say it has been harder on women than it has on men. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, and what they're saying is that because women take tend to take a more active role in running the household and with the kids home it just becomes something a burden that is falling on them and so they're leaving the workplace unfairly and i can tell you that my team is a, a very diverse team we have Definitely more women than we do men on the team, and you're you're in people's homes like we're in each other's homes right now. I'm, I noticed your you know I was thinking CBRE Josh behind you that's a CBRE green behind you and it looks like a building scape behind you too. So I I got a real CBRE vibe. So your 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 relationships become more intimate, and I have seen firsthand the. People balancing like kids are at home in school and I'm running a household and I'm in a very high profile marketing role or a business role. So I think um, from a leadership perspective, I really think you have this view and this window into other people's lives, right? I know people's kids now. You know, I know what people's homes look like now. I've seen the dogs and I see the husbands and I see the wives and you feel closer to them, but you also feel a sensitivity. There's like a lot of reality check of like, do we really need to get this done now? Or is it more important that the homework gets done and the family has just a moment to connect and, you know, whatever that connection may be. So I think the leadership lesson for me is is, is one of empathy and really understanding um, the dynamics that people bring every day and the burdens that people bring and the challenges that people bring um, and trying to create an environment where people can have, even though it's this blended life, but they can have whole lives. Um, so that's that to me is a lesson to learn and to take back out into the real world, just to really understand that getting the best work out of people, keeping people inspired, keeping people motivated, uh, it really starts with understanding their perspectives and where they're at and giving them uh, giving them the comfortability and the environment and, and the trust that they can be a whole person and, 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 and do a whole thing.
0: Well, that's a great one. Yeah, if we can I think as leaders, if we can keep that empathy that we've, you know, all had to develop uh, one way or the other this last year, if we can keep that going when when the world returns and it feels like it's returning you know, we found we were telling
1: people to, to, to take time for themselves and things like that and and it it really wasn't working like they they were really still working and they they really so we really had we, t- we had to be top down and we we now are doing this exp- we shut down the firm um the last friday of every month um and everybody does and we kind of enforce it and we tell the clients and the clients were writing back great notes like that is a great idea I wish we did you know it's really the validation is really great and i saw linkedin like took off a whole week but we just take off a day at the end of every month for the next couple of months and people are really using it but it really had to be the leaders also doing it and enforcing it to make sure it it stuck to be consistent and i thought that was a good a good lesson in role modeling and everyone's watching
2: that's awesome and and what kind of what kind of dividends is that paying is there any decrease in productivity is work not getting done is there a quality change in the work
1: yeah right so yeah of course, there's gonna be no downside in productivity right everyone's gonna be more productive what we're hoping also is maybe better attrition you know better better retention That's, that would be a hope because it's you know crazy war for talent right now and we're hoping that it does help people healthier wise and and that these all these issues with burnout kind of go down which is harder harder to measure but yeah the biggest ones would be Productivity we were convinced is not going down is up because it's it's
0: too high right now. Paul, where do you see kind of the the world of audio going? I mean, it's it's hot right now. I mean, you have podcasts like rising just blowing up the charts. But what else like what else is out there? Like what do you see over the next few years?
2: Um, I see a lot more advertising dollars going into audio. I think the quality of the creative being cre- made in audio—it used to be an afterthought. I think people are really thinking about a screenless world and how, where it's it's going—you know—from radio to audio to sound, and how sound is a driver and how. Brand sound, and how people sound, and how companies sound. So I think it's going to extend into this world where it's the next generation of computing is going to be screenless, and it's going to be voice-enabled. So I think you are going to continue to see audio drive a future of business. So it's going to play a prominent role in business. I think podcasting is going to become monetized. I think it's still a bit of the great Wild West. I'm sure you're figuring it out as you go with with your podcast, Josh, but I will tell you, I think that that is going to continue to be monetized. I think um, radio, news, sports—that continues to be a really important, vital part of the uh, of the media ecosystem. I think that connection into local markets remains very strong. I think you see innovation in different places as sports gambling, uh, sports betting becomes um, legalized in states. I think that is going to really take hold in the audio space. Um, I think social audio is something really interesting now. I did a meeting in Clubhouse recently. I did an interview on Clubhouse and that was really cool. The, the quality of the fidelity and the connection was great. You know, it was, I had, I had the earphones on, but it was on the, it was on, I could see who was on there. And it was a really interesting conversation and it was a fully screenless conversation. And it felt like, it did not feel like a Zoom meeting. It did not feel like a, Uh, conference call, it felt like something different. It felt like social audio. And I think that's gonna be really interesting. Twitter Spaces is coming on. So I think that's that's something that's gonna happen. I think there's just innovation is continuing to happen. And we're seeing dollars, if you follow the dollars, that they're flowing into audio right now.
1: Now it's time for thank you notes. You know, my favorite segment where we ask this week's guests to thank someone from their past who either opened a door or gave them indelible advice that still stays with them today. Paul, who are you going to thank?
2: I thought about that and I've listened, and you get such good answers. I was almost scared to commit because there's just so many people. But the person I come back to time and again is someone named John Osborne. And John Osborne recruited me at BBDL. He was the president of the New York office. He's now the president of North America at OMD. And John was nobody radiated energy or work ethic like John, he taught me how to work hard and how to work smart and how to have fun. And, and you know, a, a career in marketing, particularly on the agency side, is almost as you have to have a servant-led mindset, right? It's it's because you are on the busy end of the service agreement and you are working every day to deliver against briefs and dollars. and by embracing that and 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 not thinking about it as oh we have so much to do but like not like i have to do but i get to do this is an opportunity this mindset this sunny side up mindset to do really hard work and take on challenges face on i've never seen anybody like that and i've tried to emulate that kind of behavior and and through it all john has remained the person that i turn to for counsel Everybody should have, I believe, their own board of directors that they just have, their own personal board of directors. And when I think about mine, it's always John on there. He's he's a friend, he's a mentor, um, and he's a guide. So I, I would thank him. Um, I try to be a lot like him. It's hard to emulate someone like that, but I there's a value at BBDO is and, and I just said this, is is be a radiator, not a drainer. And he is he he radiates he radiates and people around him like he's one of those people that nobody has a bad word to say about that's great all
0: right. thank you john all right so now it's time for top picks and this is where we we share a book an app a life hack anything that's uh find in- interesting and making us more more productive uh, paul you want to start us off sure
2: so um i'm going to stick true to to the brief where i am now and stay in the audio space i've really been able to see podcasts being made firsthand and see what goes into them, and have enjoyed many. And there's one that our um, team at Pineapple Street Studios put together. Max and Jenna, who run that business, they just are true craftspeople. And it's it's Welcome to Your Fantasy, and what it is is we produced it. We produced it with Gimlet. It's 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 it was um. Picked up by Spotify and bought on Spotify. So sometimes in, in the way this business works, it's 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 on our network, but it's it's uh, Spotify actually bought it. Um, but Welcome to Your Fantasy is um, takes place in the 80s and it's about the Chippendale dancers in the Valley. It's very salacious. It really gets into this idea of women's empowerment and and this movement that was happening in what was a very progressive San Fernando Valley in 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 the 80s. Um, yeah, it's 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 great. It's great, and it talks about um, how these two men one was an one was an immigrant from India, um, and one was a TV producer from the East Coast, I think New Jersey, and they transformed this club this 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 club in LA into Chippendales, right? And that was the first time that ever happened. So it is it is just excellent storytelling, and just the visuals are fantastic. Know that come into the mind as you think about it so um enjoy it and take a listen to it it's really you know it'll take you back because you remember chippendales right you remember that with the the guys with the bow ties and right patrick swayze and um um chris farley on saturday night live that's the famous dance scene that's from chippendales anyway so that's my pick i i encourage everyone to give it a listen
0: we will uh matt how about you
2: I'll do a podcast too. Um, You know, there's so many marketing podcasts
1: out there. None is, of course, as good as Rising, but I do like to give a listen. Um, One is fairly new. It's called Tagline. I don't know if you know Tim Nudd. He's a longtime ad critic. And now he works for Clio, you know, the award show company. And um, he does the stories behind campaigns. And what I really... So I, I gave it a listen just to see what I would would know because I'm always curious, and I really enjoyed the backstory. The one I, I just recently listened to was, you know, always um, like a girl, and you know we th- we all think we know this campaign. It won every award. We know the research. We know we know the end result, and we know how important it is. But it really gets into the whole backstory of how they got from A to B, and you hear from everyone who worked on the creative and the client and the agency side, and what they were doing. And I just felt like hearing a lot of those backstories both inspired me. And it also taught me a lot of lessons in how to crack an idea and what it takes to do that. And I think um, some good stories like that are always good because there's always something you don't know, and you're gonna fi- to find out more about a famous thing like that would be
0: helpful. Um, yeah, my pick is a is a book. Um, it's called Clean. It's uh, it's a it's basically a kind of a book about healthy eating and like what goes into your body and all the things you use around you. And my wife read it like six months ago and it really changed her life. And she's been pushing me to read it. And I just had a doctor's visit recently with, and I I was like, my cholesterol levels seem to be high. So I was like, all right, let me finally read this. And, but it's like, I'm, you know, like halfway through it. And I was like, Oh, it's basic things like that. uh, Thinking about the food, the fruit you buy from the store, how many thousands of miles I had to travel and just thinking about little tweaks you can make in your day to day to, to kind of, eat healthier. And yeah,
1: Paul, thanks so much for coming on the show. I thought it was really great to catch up with you and really hear a whole story we didn't even even know about. How can people um, find you?
2: Uh, they find me on Twitter at Paul Suchman uh, or on LinkedIn. Uh, however, the profiles are done. Paul Suchman is probably the best way or Paul.suchman at Odyssey dot com. That's the new handle. Reach out. I'd love to I'd love to hear from everybody.
0: Great. Thank you, Paul.
2: Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed our, spending our time together. I appreciate the invitation.
0: Our theme music
1: was created for us by Movers and Shakers, a really cool creative studio who use original music and dance to bring brands to life. It's such a fresh approach to telling a brand story, and their work really engages emotionally with consumers. consumers. In fact, they recently won a Webby. You can watch their videos from Match.com, Little Tykes, and others on their website, MoversShakers.co.